Galaxy Lights, Coachella, Lightning Bolt Necklaces. 2023 was the year of Scandaval. On March 3rd, one cheating scandal launched a reality TV investigation that generated hundreds of conspiracy theories, thousands of podcast episodes, and millions of dollars in revenue. I'm Jody Walker, host of An American Scandaval. One retrospective story told in three salacious parts. Listen December 26th on the Ringer Reality Feed. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. You know what makes a good movie even better? Delicious food. And I know exactly where to find that. Now, for a limited time, you can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tender Wraps. A crispy chicken tender with bold flavors like Hickory Barbecue and Cheesy Baja, crisp lettuce, and melty cheese. It's just what you need for a perfect movie night. Get yourself some TLC, tender love and chicken, for only $1.99 at Sonic. Buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tender Wrap today. Tax not included, limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Okay, Sean, top three movie snacks of all time, go. Um, all right, let me think. Uh, popcorn? Obviously. Hmm. Ice cream? That's two. Oh, and uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, of course. Peanut butter and chocolate is a pretty perfect combination. Some may even say the ultimate movie snack. You can't argue with that. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I'm Sean Fennessy. I'm Amanda Dobbins. And this is The Big Picture, a conversation show about a new year and new movies. But first, a very special announcement for fans of the show in Los Angeles. Let's watch Oppenheimer again in 70mm IMAX in Los Angeles with some of the filmmakers. You can register for a chance to join me on Saturday, January 13th. The Big Picture will be live from the IMAX campus and joined by the -the below-the-line filmmakers, cinematographer Hoyta von Hoytema, editor Jennifer Lame, and composer Ludwig Göransson for a screening of Oppenheimer, followed by a panel discussion, a little small reception, maybe you can say hi to me. Space is extremely limited, so you can register for a chance to attend at uni.pictures slash Oppenheimer Big Picture Event to express your interest. They'll email a select number of registrants to confirm their attendance. Again, the Big Picture will be live at the IMAX campus in Los Angeles on Saturday, January 13th at 5 p.m., for an Oppenheimer screening, filmmaker panel, and reception. Register for a chance to attend at uni.picture slash Oppenheimer big picture event. Hope to see some of you there. Okay, Amanda. Technically, it's only been four days since an uh, episode of the show was posted. Yeah, but, sure. Uh, it's been a long time since we recorded. Um, you and I, we've spent a, a, a good amount of time together yes. in those 12 or 13 days since we recorded. Yeah. Um, do you want to share any details of our, our travels? Uh, well, we... We met some animals, some <laughs> some real and some uh, plaster. Mm-hmm. I would say, what was your favorite animal that you saw during our adventures in the desert? I mean, just some extraordinary giraffes. Some yeah. of the best, oh, some of the finest were, giraffes I've ever seen. Those were really, really good giraffes really because giraffes. they were socialized. I mean, maybe they're really unhappy in their own lives, but they were very friendly. Um, <laughs> you, that's a us. really good collaboration with Werner Herzog for you is the internal lives of giraffes. I, I think know. that's something you should explore. I did this. We went to the living desert. Um, in Palm Springs, California. It's actually in Palm Desert, Palm California. Desert, California. We drove Excuse a bit. Me. We drove through uh, the sites of the Coachella Valley. And 
they, I, I did think that the living desert like integrated with the environment, you know, the natural environment in a way that it looked like the animals were happier. Yeah. There was a repl- replication of a savanna that a rhino might be roaming through. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that savanna was not uh, its native Africa. Right. It was sure. California, nevertheless. Yeah. When the rhino are- was not really roaming. The rhino was just like hiding under the bridge. Fleeing, I think, is yeah. really more. No, he's stationary. <laughs> <laughs> Given up. Uh, do you think when people are listening to this, they think that just me and you together just drove out to Palm <laughs> Desert to check out the living desert in Palm Desert? No, yeah, we took our probably. children and our families. Um, that was lovely, but um, not everything was lovely over the break. We lost the incredible <laughs> actor Tom Wilkinson. See, this is this is what I do. I know, just just take it all in. We're back. We're fully back. It's like I I did have a break from podcasting, but I did not have a break from you. And still, <laughs> that segue was just really. Okay, we're easing back in. We're not. We're shooting right we back into the news. We didn't news. talk about this because you were fucking golfing I while golfing this happened. You were golfing. Happened. Oh my god! Can we? No, can we talk about that morning Absolutely, for a minute before sure. we get to the to like the sad, the, the genuinely sad news that I'd like to spend some time on? Uh, while you were golfing, yeah. I hosted the first uh, episode of JMO Live <laughs> um, at the Palm Springs Air Museum. <laughs> <laughs> which is a place that you can go <laughs> where so, so the draw and i have to say this they deliver on there are just a, or a lot of planes that you can walk right up to historical planes planes um that have carried bombs for the u.s government over many decades to many other parts of the world and that's sort of the point of view of the museum and but but if you're a small child, you can be like, ooh, Snoopy's flying that plane. They did have a stuffed Snoopy in one of the planes. That was the real highlight for my son. So that was cool. This the, is how we indoctrinate the youth yeah, into our military industrial I, complex. There were just a tremendous number of retirees trying to tell you about World War II, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And then a lot of planes and a lot of um, I would say selective history. And 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 friendly people, and then and then there was like a a small section for children right next to the Victory Canteen, which is what they call the cafe. I'm not even kidding. And there was like one sort of fighter cock, fighter jet cockpit that a small child could get in. And so Knox took a bunch of Top Gun esque um, <laughs> photos, and and that was my morning. And so that was an amazing thing that I did while you and my husband went and played golf. Yeah, it was a weird choice for you and my wife to go to the airplane museum while we were not there. <laughs> we were, did everything else together. Everything else across the entire week we did together. But that was the one event. Well, it was like the closest attraction. Yeah. And it was like a place where, I mean, my son loves airplanes. Again, all transportation, all infrastructure, call, you know, 1-800-KNOX <laughs> for all your needs. And then... It was nearby, mm-hmm. and it was a place, it was, like, open, so he could run, and he could see planes. And we had a lot of things over the break where planes were mentioned, and then my son found out he wasn't immediately going to the airport to see a plane, and he started weeping. Mm-hmm. So, in that sense, it was positive. You righted a wrong. I was, like, I, even before we went, I was, like, I'm nervous about the military and historical uh, aspects of this World War II, the greatest generation. They did incredible work. What are we talking about here? Yeah. Are we are, are we negging the World War II <laughs> no, victory? No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Thousands gave their lives. Sure. All right. All right. Chill out, Oppenheimer. <laughs> um, yeah, there were some dioramas that I had some questions about. But okay. um, 
And I didn't make it to the literal war on terror hangar, which was a mm. thing that happened. Yeah. I curated that myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I can tell you a little bit more about it Anyway, later. so Off future JAMO events, we have, a, we have a location. That's exciting. It really is. Um, uh, we can do photo ops. I, I got plenty of photos of my daughter. In yeah, a she waited pilot. in a line. Yeah, actually, for one, <laughs> truly remarkable. She seemed delighted. Um, but you're right. While you were doing that, and I was golfing, we got news that Tom Wilkins passed away, yeah. which is really sad. Um, not an actor that we've had reason to talk about too much in the last few years on the show, but certainly one of my favorite actors. Um, probably best known and loved for his work in Michael Clayton um, as a mentally unwell but brilliant lawyer who has sort of gone off the deep end in an effort to win a very complicated case against the Monsanto-esque uh, agribusiness and while also falling in love with a key witness in the case. Um, it's weird, like in the last three or four years, Tom Wilkinson holding the 100 baguettes yeah. has become a meme which I think on the one hand is great because more people are just seeing and learning about Michael Clayton. Right. On the other hand, I think it kind of like Undercuts, diminishes or like, minimizes the like profundity of that scene and that performance. And, you know, it's like it's memes are great. I'm not, you know, I'm not down on memes or anything, but it really is one of the great acting performances, movie acting performances of the 21st century. Yeah. He is uh, ex- astonishing as the like the mania alongside Michael's like tight interiority. And, um, you know, he's been in many other films, of course, in the bedroom uh, is probably where most Americans really became aware of him um, as Sissy SpaceX husband, parents to a um, a boy who was murdered, a young man who was murdered, I should say. Todd Field's first movie. What what are what are the Tom Wilkinson performances that jump out to you? Anything beyond those two major ones? He's a Tony Gilroy stalwart, so mm-hmm. I thought of duplicity. I you know I thought immediately, which is my number one. We need to. If we could just redo it with literally everybody in the exact same thing, we'll just like <laughs> tweak a couple of the problems. So that one, you know, that one sticks out to me. I don't know. I, it's sense and sensibility. He is also um, a, a, a supporting, but an essential character, an important character in the very beginning of the film. Um, then he dies, but his death sets off the events of it the does. movie. And and he's very good. And um, he's kind of like. Um, not well paired, but um, in opposition to Harriet Walters's uh, per- performance as like what people, you know, what family uh, can be or wants for its uh, other members of the family. But so he's like very lovely in that movie. Um, but I don't know. You know, I saw the news and I thought I am sure the god of death. Like I'm, that scene forever is. Not just because of the meme and because of, like, the neat visual of a man with, like, a tremendous amount of baguettes. Um, But for the—not everyone can do the Tony Gilroy dialogue um, and and emotion in the way that he was able to interpret it and make it, like, human, um, as well as, like, incredibly talky and and highfalutin. So it's very sad. Yeah, he's made appearances in a lot of— Pretty significant movies in the last few last twenty five years. You know, Full Monty he was in, Shakespeare in Love he was in, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind he was in. He plays Carmine Falcone in Batman Begins. Like he is was a stalwart of a number of different um, big time filmmakers. He's you know often in a supporting role, but often a you know fascinating figure. I think Arthur 
just saying, Michael, I have great affection for you and you live a very rich and interesting life, but you're not, you're a bag man. You're not an attorney is really, yeah. that is the, that is the moment for me that I, I will remember him for. Um, just a terrific actor. Um, what, what happened at the box office? This is kind of weird because Christmas is usually a, a boom time. Last year, Christmas was dominated by Avatar The Way of Water. Do you remember that film? Yeah. The movie made uh, $2.35 billion at the box office. I think it's the fourth highest grossing movie of all time. Does anyone remember that? That was one year ago when the fourth biggest movie of all time was released. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I mean, you know, everyone, all the Avatar heads had their moments. They left the message board. They were like, this has been in it, like a rich, you know, subculture that we have been tending to for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And we were all like, yeah, good job. It's this is these are good. These are cool movies. Mm-hmm. And then we all left the theater and moved on with our lives. But they did not. They're, yeah. they're holding tight to Pandora. Yeah. Okay. Um this year I guess the big hit is Wonka. Wonka has done incredibly well especially overseas. It has now earned 400 million dollars worldwide. It's pretty darn good. It is IP, but you know, it's a musical with a quasi proven movie star and I feel like we are now mm-hmm. it is confirmed. Chalamet? Chalamet is confirmed. Yeah. Like, it is, he is a global movie star. He was also photographed at the Kardashian-Jenner Christmas Eve party with Kylie. Unintentionally. That, he was, like, in the background. Do you think that was a fun party? So, I, I was wondering about it in terms of, it's like a full, like, full glam, get lit Christmas Eve party. So, more, more of a photo op, ultimately, than an actual party, then. Well, they like, didn't actually pose, though. This was like a some an action shot. Yeah, they were detected. Were they playing Jenga? What were they doing? No, they were like standing next to a Christmas Snorting tree and like lines of cocaine? full glam. No, okay. they were just kind of like it looked like they were talking to okay. each other. All right. Um, but it's like no, it's like a full like you're going out, going out party, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which seems like a lot on Christmas Eve, especially when Christmas is on a Monday and thus. The Saturday night, the 23rd, is right there for you. Mm-hmm. Like, prime, you know, go out, and then you have your cozy, like, Christmas Eve. But you think they Christmas. hit the club on Christmas Eve? The, like, the party itself is, like, basically a club. Is the club. Like, yeah. that is yeah. what's going on. Yeah, that's, and that's what it was just... like at my house, too. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, like, a little bit the Kardashian aesthetic, you know? And, like, that's what they're trying to do. But everyone's just, like, you know, like, full makeup and, like, fur coats in, like, Calabasas on Christmas Eve. That seems like a lot of work. It does. I hope Tim and Kylie are doing well. Yeah. You know, I, I want great films for Tim. That's really all I care That's... about. And uh, Wonka, to me, not a great film, but many people disagree and they're going to see that film. You know, I was originally planning to do a solo episode of the pod sure. um, about Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom mm-hmm. and also about Rebel Moon, part one of the Zack Snyder right. Star Wars meets Seven Samurai What did saga. you do with that ticket? You had a solo ticket to Aquaman. No, to Rebel Moon. I had a solo ticket to Rebel Moon at the Egyptian on the 15th, but uh, I was summoned to record uh, the Christmas Vacation Rewatchables. Right. So I, that ticket just burned. It, oh, the that's Egyptian sad. has my, Netflix has my money and it was never used. So I watched that movie on the Netflix streaming service and it was quite, quite poor. Oh, I really I'm sorry. Not, not good. Um, and I'm, I, I think it would be fun to zag on Snyder, like after everyone else, you know, after we basically like stopped caring. But uh, it, it was very, very bad. Very boring. Did not look very good. He's got to stop being his own cinematographer. This is a weird thing. That it's like, you're not Steven Soderbergh, my guy. Like, you got to let somebody else do the work. Let somebody else write the script. You definitely have an eye. You have some visual flair. But right now, that's about all he has. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, I'll tell you very quickly. 
uh, it it bombed, quote unquote, but it didn't really bomb relative to like where superhero movies were in the last six or seven months. Like it's already basically bigger than the Marvels and bigger than Blue Beetle and is probably going to be as bigger, maybe bigger than The Flash even. So, you know, the first movie made a billion dollars. It's The first movie is really fun. It's James Wan. James Wan's just a better director than most of the people who've been making superhero movies the last couple of years. Uh, it's clearly like hacked to bits, but it's the whole movie is just, it's kind of Aquaman and Patrick Wilson doing Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, like running from place to place, going on adventures. Are they running or swimming? A bit of both. Oh, bit of, bit of both. interesting. Yeah, there's some biped action. What is Aquaman's like oxygen delivery system on ground? I don't have the science on that, <laughs> um, but I will consult with Fauci and see what he says. I mean, is it just like can he? Is it? Does yes, he's, he is both. He can. He can. Amb- like what would the what would the term be? Amb- Respiratory. Amber respiratory? Okay, cool. What about Patrick Wilson? Same. They're brothers in the film. Oh, that's nice. So, do you see the resemblance? (laughs) (laughs) What has Patrick Wilson been up to since the first film? Uh, Well, he was um, tried and imprisoned for his crimes against the uh, aquatic kingdom of Atlantis. Okay, what were those crimes? Um... Just like, I think, seizing too much power and attempting to... uh, create a kind of nuclear showdown with his kind of fellow uh, seafarers. So failed treason? Effectively, yeah. Okay. Uh, do you know what his character's name is? No. Orm? Oh. O-R-M? <laughs> uh, no, no wonder he wanted to rebel. <laughs> I, uh, you know, you know, I love the Midnight Boys. I love to listen to their podcast. Uh, I don't know what they were talking about this, with this movie. They were like, this is the worst movie <laughs> ever, dude. I'm like, you guys, come on. Like, the Marvels just came out, you know? Like, there, there are much worse movies in this movie. I thought it was fine. We're not doing an episode about it for obvious reasons. It's just, it's it's not that bad, but it's also not good. And it's the last movie in the quote-unquote DCEU. James Gunn is now taking over. All future DC films will be under his uh, creative stewardship. Does Patrick Wilson sing in Aquaman 2? He doesn't sing, but he's great. I mean, he's... He's star- wonderful. Like, that wasn't like a... Sh- that was let Patrick Wilson cook. Yeah. it's it, The movie is like a reverse Shawshank Redemption in some ways, too, oh, okay. where it's like it starts out and he's in prison and then he gets broken out and then he goes off on great adventures. Uh, I don't know. It's okay. Number three is a movie we're going to spend some time talking about today, mm-hmm. uh, which is The Color Purple, which is really the Christmas champion. On Christmas Day, this was the biggest movie of the year. $55 million in less than a week for the movie. Uh, this is, of course, a, a musical adaptation of um, Alice Walker's novel, which was also adapted as a movie in 1985 by Steven Spielberg. Uh, you know, black audiences, I think, represented like north of 60% of this film's mm-hmm. uh, movie-going the, audience on Christmas Day. It was like $18 million on Christmas Day alone. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, the audience for the, the target audience for the film really showed up. You, as usual, like project projections are always off on this thing because people always underestimate the black audiences. Mm-hmm. They showed up for the film. Huge week for Warner Brothers in general. Um, the last three films we've just talked about are all Warner Brothers movies, which is kind of fascinating that they bunched together three big movies like this, though I guess technically in three mostly different quadrants, a kid's movie, a kind of like fantasy movie for teenagers, and an adult musical. Um, I wonder if you like group the marketing costs, you know, whether there's some sort of... I feel like it's just more exhausting. You got more people working around the clock to push out three huge releases like that at the no, same time. No, I agree, but don't, you know, but maybe they're not... Maybe they're asked to multitask across. Like, well, that three. would suck for them. That really sucks yeah, for them. Yeah, and this then time they've of year. and they've done a great job this year. Yes, so I they hope have. they I hope they get a vacation. They of course also uh, responsible for the Barbie machine. Yeah. So um, WB had a big year. The Iron Claw, which we talked about last week on the show with Shoemaker and with Sean Dorkin, the director, um, already a pretty big hit. 
It's made $18 million. It's definitely going to cross 20. It's probably going to cost cross past lives and Priscilla's $20 million. A24 already had a huge year. Talk to me came out over the summer. I mentioned last week on the show, the new era of A24 likely coming. Civil War will probably be the first gambit in the, I would say slightly, and in some cases, significantly bigger budget movies, more mainstream movies that still have a kind of, I don't know, writer, director, auteur, flair. Um, people seem to like Iron Claw. There's a lot of annoying discourse about like what they got right and what they got wrong in the movie, which again, like I, I find that so silly. I know people have big emotional relationships to like professional wrestlers and nuclear physicists, but like I just everybody which we can relax, right? I mean can you just put a pin in that okay. and then like bring it back? <laughs> okay, we'll bring it back. Yeah. Uh poor Later. things. Yeah. Poor things made eleven million dollars, only in eight hundred theaters. This has been the hardest movie to figure out how to cover on the show because I can't figure out when they're going to open it wide. I still kind of don't know, but we're just going to do the episode next week. Are you yeah. okay with that? I'm I'm ready. I'll see it again. Okay. Um, I really need people to stop yelling at us. For <laughs> we're going to cover it. Co- I promise. Like, we're going to cover it. We both it. really like it, and we're going to cover it. We don't worry. We saw it many <laughs> months ago. It's not on us. Please direct your concerns to Bob Iger. Yeah, it's that's not ideal. Uh, Ferrari did kind of brick. Yeah. I don't know. You don't care? Well... I, it bricked, I guess, money-wise, but, you know, in the hearts of dads everywhere, it, it lives and thrives. The, the people who saw it were like, yeah, Ferrari. So isn't isn't that what we're out here doing? It is. You know? It is. Um, I don't, I don't want to get too far into anyone but you because okay. we're going to get there very quickly when we start covering the film. Okay. But um, it's doing well. It's doing well in an interesting way, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that. I saw it in a movie theater. Shout out the four other people at Atlanta Phipps Plaza at 11.30 a.m. the day after Christmas. Was it Sydney Sweeney and her mom and dad and brother? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, the box office crossed $9 billion this year. That was, that, was, that was really good. Yeah. Like, we were so back. And But now, if you read all the pieces about 2024, they're like, you were back. But now, we're so fucked. Because this year is supposed to be so bad. Okay. Because of the strikes and the, you know, yeah, rollover no, sure. and scheduling yeah. and yada, yada, yada. I, there's some interesting data that I read in a piece on, on Deadline that I thought is worth sharing for the audience of this show that I think will actually be a note to influence how we're going to be doing this show this year. So there were 124 wide theatrical releases. That means movies that were released in a thousand plus theaters in 2023. This year, right now, there are only 107 wide titles. So much of what we do on a regular basis is oriented around, as you as you love to say, let people see your movies. This year, there may not even be enough movies right. to fully flesh out. In fact, Deadline noted that there are six 2024 weekends that are currently without wide entries. So January 26th, March 15th, May 31st, October 11th, December 6th, and I'm sure this will change, December 27th, don't have a movie attached to them as a release date. Again, I'm going to circle back to December 6th. We pointed out last time that December 1st and December 8th were so weak this past year, which was so confusing, which did create an opportunity for The Boy and the Heron and Godzilla Minus One to do great business, which was really cool and exciting. We didn't really necessarily see those as big box office contenders, but Hollywood's got to get their shit together. Stop bunching nine movies on the same weekend and then leaving other weekends completely barren. It's an idiotic strategy. Are you, you're not concerned at all about the box office. You don't care. No, I mean, it's better when people go to the movies than when they don't, because then the the number crunchers will agree to invest more in movies, which is good for us. Um, and I'm sad to say that we still live in a world, world where we're beholden to 
people in their spreadsheets. Uh, but I don't know. I, I, I am nervous about the fact that I guess we'll have less to talk about, though, and we'll get to this later in the episode. I think that that just means we need to kind of like rethink how we decide what we talk about. I don't know about you, but I just got so many texts from people in my life over the holidays being like, oh, I finally watched this. And oh, I finally Mm -hmm. watched that. And here's my take on this. And here's my take on that. Now, you know, that is skewed because I'm friends with a bunch of uh, middle-aged people with small children (laughs) who like can't leave their homes. And so like they're finally like catching up once it's available on streaming. And we would like... Do you think of yourself as middle-aged? No, not yet, though. Okay. Um... I guess we're getting there. Though, I don't know. So I'll, I will be middle-aged if we put 80 as a cap on me. And I like to think that I'm going past that. Okay. I wish you well. Um, you know. Do you think I, I still know you at 80? I'll be long gone. I, you'll be I'm done. going out unless you and Unless you start doing the Pilates like we discussed. It's <laughs> another episode entirely. <laughs> Bob will be invited to that one for sure. Um, there's just 31 releases, wide releases, through April 2024. Yeah. That's... That's... It's going to be an interesting first part of the year. Obviously, we cover the Oscars quite regularly and significantly mm-hmm. through the first three months of the year. There's still Drafts, a lot of movies. Auctions, sure, and there are a lot of movies last that came out last year. Poor Things, All of Us Strangers, like a lot of things that we haven't gotten to talk about that we can have some more room. I'm okay with it. I honestly would rather that than like just some true garbage. Okay. You know? Yeah. Don't you feel like it? I, like uh, and, and, I'm mixed on this because I, I think like it's important. Dump, to, I like a good dumpuary movie. Uh-huh. But then I was this morning just thinking about all of the time I've spent sitting in a theater watching the dumpuary movies that were true dumpuary movies. This is this is you know? the work that we do, though. This is our service do, to the world. I do know that. You know, I don't really do anything else. I don't contribute anything else to the world meaningfully, okay. other than saying like, you should definitely go see the Beekeeper starring Jason Statham. You know, like, <laughs> this is really this is my art. This is when Picasso paints. I, listen, I tell people. Listen, about the I hear you on that. <laughs> and you know, I do that for all movies that got ten thousand more dollars than they give you at Hallmark. So that's like you know, that's my that's my beat. But I I don't know. It's it, I'm sure that it will feel empty, but emptier I bet we, for sure. Emptier, but I bet we can find stuff. I agree with you. Let's talk about Anyone But You. Okay. So, Anyone But You is the new, I think we thought, rom-com directed by Will Gluck from a script by Gluck and Alana Wolpert starring Sidney Sweeney and Glenn Powell as two classic uh, meet-cute, could-be couple. Things quickly turn negative and then they spend the entire film hating each other just waiting to fall in love with each other. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Very standard formula, very familiar. You, of course, one of the great chroniclers of the rom com. Yeah. Maybe the chronicler of your time. Oh, thank you. That's so kind. And uh I think I think my expectation was that this was going to be in the vein of not the classical, you know, sleepless in Seattle, you've got mail when Harry met Sally type, but more in that like next wave, the sort of mid-period Julia Roberts into the kind of Kate Hudson, Matthew McConaughey right. era of rom-coms, which are fine. I don't like those as much as the classics, the classics I love. Um, and I was surprised that that's not actually what this movie is, or at least it's only partially what it is. That it is actually like more of a hard R sex comedy. Okay. And like kind of raunchy. Well, 
But therein lies the problem, right? Because it's not raunchy, like fully raunchy sex comedy. Mm -hmm. There is one sex scene. Mm -hmm. You do see Sydney Sweeney's breast in silhouette. You see them. Do you see side boob? You see side boob, but you don't... I mean, there's... Listen. I'll tell you what. I've seen them before. Yeah, sure. You've (laughs) seen them before. Also, uh, she just is... They're tremendous. That is like one of... Hollywood's great gifts yep. right now. And they are on display and in other ways throughout this movie. They are filmed lovingly. And I and I it would seem with her cooperation. So I, most certainly she's in a producer on this film. So so I we just have to talk about them. So you see it in like from the side, but it's not like a full-on mm-hmm. sex scene. Mm-hmm. The cutting is pretty short. And the rest of the time. There's like not sex pretty There's, noticeably. But the so the point is that like a sex comedy to me is not necessarily a movie in which sex happens. It's a movie in which gratuitous nudity and lots of jokes about sex happen. Okay. So well, like American Pie doesn't feature sex other than coitus right. with a pie. It but it features a nude Shannon Elizabeth. Right. You know, there's a guy a guy shows his dick in this movie. That's true. You know, a, another actress goes topless in this movie. That's true. For like half a second. Sure. Which, but but nevertheless, know. that's not something you would have seen. I actually can't, I don't want to speak so like with too much, trying to, to attempt too much knowledge at the kind of like Cade Hudson era, like, but like the Drew Barrymore, Adam Sandler movies, like those movies are not hard, hard no, movies. No, I, I mean, you're right that there is more sex, more nudity um, in and more quote unquote raunchiness in this movie. But because it's included I left being like, it, it, it's it's very stuck in the middle to the mm-hmm. point that I was like, oh, they tried to go for this, but then they actually pared a lot of it back. It's not that right. raunchy. They, they didn't go They're for afraid, it. They didn't go for it. They're yeah. afraid, like, you mentioned that a raunchy comedy includes jokes about sex. Um, I, I wouldn't say there were a lot of jokes in this movie, full stop, but <laughs> they were... They tiptoed up to the sex jokes, but, like, it never really landed any of those. Like, the set pieces aren't really about sex. Yeah, I think the set pieces are actually the best part of the I movie. I agree. And um, they are more traditional romantic comedy. They are. So, I'm I'm just trying to figure out what, what happened here. It is it is really neither fish nor fowl. Yeah. That like, did it... And, and then there is also this weird, like, um, Shakespeare modern Shakespeare adaptation and it's a riff sort of on Much Ado About Nothing which is you know like a a tradition in Hollywood that I enjoy but pretty much manifests itself in random quotes from Much Ado About Nothing like being like wallpapered onto like yeah Yeah, it was was very strange so it's part that which and 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 that would fall under the romantic comedy tradition and like part sex comedy Mm -hmm. but like got lost between the two somewhere, for me, at least. Yeah, I, one, I generally enjoyed the movie. Um, yeah, of course, I enjoyed the movie. Let's yeah. let's be real. I will go to a movie theater and watch all of these forever. Put attractive people on screen sparring in, like, a pretty decent set design as far as these, and production design as far as these things go. Yeah, the story, which largely takes place at a a, a, a getaway wedding in Australia, is filmed beautifully. Australia, a place I've never been, looks absolutely wonderful. Um, an incredible setting for hot people. This movie mm-hmm. is entirely populated by hot people of varying generations, including um, a little mini reunion of my best friend's wedding uh, cast members, Dermot Mulroney and Rachel Griffiths. 
Australian acting legend Brian Brown from Cocktail and FX and a number of other movies makes an appearance here. Um, some young and interesting actors, Alexandra Shipp, uh, Gata, Hadley Robinson. Like, there's some cool people here. Um, the vibe is fun. It's just, it's a little, it's just a little janky. You know, the movie is just a little like, we needed one more pass at this or something. Yeah. And that doesn't mean it's not a fun time. And I think actually what's happening is the movie is having success at the box office because these movies are missing. <laughs> you know, that there's like your B minus C plus rom-com has just been so relegated to Netflix and Amazon. Right. That people are like, it's actually a lot of fun to just go to the movies right. and watch a movie like this. But when they are put on Netflix or Amazon, they are pared back. And so you don't get the set pieces that you get in this movie, which include, and as you noted, which was totally spoiled by the trailer, but the Glenn Powell totally naked trying to get a, um, a, a spider. spider. Right, um, which is very, very funny, and I think would have been I thought a, like, the funniest bit in the movie. Yeah. And I think I thought would have been like a lot funnier had it not been in the trailer. But that had shades more of like, um, like a, there's something about Mary yeah. kind of like laugh out loud, ribald moment. Um, but I agree, it's like it's tough because you know, yeah, these movies have to sell yeah, your yeah, movie yeah, yeah, on yeah. the best parts of the movie. So, <clears throat> and then there is an extended bit on a boat in the Sydney Harbor. Um, Involving the phrase Titanic me. <laughs> there is a helicopter rescue and then it like gets played back at the end. And I don't know whether that was actually filmed in the Sydney Harbor or all of it. I think anyway, so. it I like think a, a lot of it was, but you know, there was like an actual helicopter mm-hmm. there. It is, there is something like larger than life about the, I thought like very good rom-com um, bit that just gets cut from from Netflix budgets and streaming budgets. Absolutely. So let's just make the right... Well, well two things. One, Natasha Bedingfield, um, her song Unwritten plays a pretty significant role in this film. Um, I listened to you <coughs> over the course of five days sing the song at least 10 times in front of our children. Uh, they were, <clears throat> you sang like, it well. I, like, I was really trying to sell them on it. And they... It's like they never start, started crying but it was like really blank stares. And I was really like building to the crescendo, yeah. you know? Like Alice has a gift for blank stares. So that's uh, true. But I, you know. This was a huge weekend for you and Alice. She and I really connected. It, it and really like happens. and and we channeled our love for performance, you know? You did. Um, yeah. so, um Alice did not get interested in unwritten because she was in a ballerina phase. And right. we only wanted to listen to Tchaikovsky. Sure. So that's you know, it happens. It happens. But you know. That's my child. You know, she's sure, sophisticated. Yeah, what right. can I say? And Knox is just like, no. And like, <laughs> where's my truck? We were playing with trucks. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys were doing ballerina dances. Uh, okay. Let's spend the rest of the time talking about Glenn Powell and Sydney Sweeney. So Glenn Powell's the man. Glenn Powell is awesome in this movie. Um, he remains like the most promising person to have come out in the last 10 years where I'm like, we can just entrust him with, with any anything. kind of a movie. He can do like smart, fratty boy comedy. He can do action movie. He can do romantic lead. He can do chippy sex comedy lead. He can do, he can pretty much do anything. I haven't seen Hitman, the new forthcoming Richard Linklater movie, but everybody that I've talked to has said it is an A, A plus movie. So very, very excited for that next year. We'll talk about our most anticipated later this week. 
but hardest working guy in showbiz. Yes. I, it's just also another description of this movie, which I enjoyed. Could be like everyone but Glenn Powell is asleep, <laughs> um, yes. but he is he's awake and God bless him. He does not give up. He's he's really really trying to sell this okay story. Sydney Sweeney, as you noted, a remarkable special effect, incredible to observe, and is it's kind of a hallmark of a certain kind of movie star. Marilyn Monroe, for many years, gifted comedian and singer though she was, was a special effect in movies for a long time. Sydney Sweeney just can't act yet, or at least can't act in this kind of tone. I think she's a comedian. Or she's not a comedian. She is not a, a comedian in the context of, I feel this underwritten script, especially right. when it comes to jokes. Like there just there just aren't that many jokes. There's just a delivery problem. Yeah, it just feels like she's just read the line for the first time before being filmed, and it's inescapable. Like but the words are almost not properly coming out of her mouth. But it's more. It's it's not all her fault because the there there's one very funny physical comedy bit that she does mm-hmm. uh, at the the meet cute where she gets water on her jeans and then is like trying to dry it with the hand dryer, yeah. which ha- I have literally been there and done that. Yeah. And that is a great opening bit. And she's very funny in it. Um, but that's a heavily edited physical comedy set piece. Right. Everything else about this character that she's asked to play is so broad as to be undefined. Right. She's not a real person. And also somehow unbelievable because we're meant to look at this like incredibly put together beautiful young woman who is like lost and doesn't know what she wants to do with her life and doesn't like know how to talk to men and i'm just like i'm really sorry but i will i i will suspend disbelief for many things but not at like sydney sweeney being like a law student who isn't really sure whether she wants to continue being a law student and, like, maybe she's not in the right relationship and she's just such a mess. She doesn't know how to talk to a boy. It's hard to pick roles when you are, when you're, like, she's a sex symbol. You know yeah. what I mean? And that, especially in the 21st century as a sex symbol, it's hard to pick parts. Um, it's hard to just only, like, she's not going to just be objectified. Like, it's we're in a different time in Hollywood. She's obviously taken a creative lead role in this movie. Right. And... I think she's actually a good actor under the right circumstances, especially in the second season of Euphoria, which I don't know. You didn't watch that, right? No. Her character is kind of going through this like mega emotional meltdown and it's pitched in this almost like Douglas Sirk style dramatic fashion. Not all of the show has that tone, but her character, Cassie, has that tone. And so she's frequently kind of melting down and freaking out and has like, you know, uh, makeup streaked tears on her face and, you know, is trying to like woo a man, but also reject him at the same time. And she's really, really good in a part like that. And she's not just playing like the sex kitten like she was in season one. So she, it's not that she's like not talented. She, I think she is a talented actor, but she's not right for movies like this, at least not right now. Because part of it is what you're saying. Like you just don't really believe her as like Sandra Bullock, like bumbling gal in the city. But also she just can't do comic delivery. Like it's a, it's a skill, it's a talent. And right now she doesn't have it. This also, just as for Sydney Sweeney, because here's the thing, I, like I, I blame the script because it's preposterous to think that these two people are just like hanging out in his like serial killer banker apartment, 
and don't With fuck. Literally an oversized right? wrench. Right, yeah. and then she like, and then she leaves, <laughs> and then just like stands in the wind, like in the doorway as he, you know, she's saving herself. Like, <laughs> but if they went for full like raunch and yeah. full sex comedy, right. I honestly it like, would have been think, a wild, gratuitous two minute sex scene. She could also, I think that that she could play with more and be funnier and it would make more sense, like, her reaction to mm-hmm. then, well, they need to rewrite the whole, I, like, I just left and, like, had a one-sided phone conversation and then I went back into it. I, I felt like that was a real hallmark of all these movies where there's, like, a, a weird misunderstanding by coincidence and then that That's triggers the true. plot of the, every yes. movie like this. That's fine, but, like, the misunderstanding has to be sensical. As, and this was nonsensical. This was yeah. just like pure chess pieces, which they then literally crystallized. Like they have her do like weird chess piece with like a giant chess set. I'm like, this is so corny. I did like, um, I did like the idea, some of which is executed pretty well, of the rom-com in the age of the fuckboy. Like that was a good concept. Yeah. There's a certain kind of male archetype that doesn't get portrayed in like a, a cutting way in culture. Actually, we have like F Boy Island. You know, there's like right. a, there's a version of that in reality television more so than in movies. So I I like. But the he's effort. not a fuck boy. Well, I think we're meant to believe that he was. He's like a thirty something bro- stockbroker who's still single. So it's like, what has he been doing for the last twelve years? Right, and and it's, apparently it's been pining after this beautiful woman who gets no character to Australian in Australia, woman, Michelle who gets Heard, yeah. no character development except for when he's just like looking at iPhone pictures. <laughs> and then he's, and then they're like, oh, now they're like desperately, he's desperately in love with her. Okay, so let me, this is an interesting question because you, you love a lot of these movies. Yeah. I like some of them too. Is it, do you like movies where you feel like the lead characters like are not smart and maybe have no interiority? You know, because like the Glenn Powell character, like he's hustling his ass off. But he's just kind of a dipshit stockbroker whose mom died. Like, I, like what is what is what are his character beats? Oh, I forgot about that. And it's like, yeah, the wrench. And and but then his comedian friend is like, you don't tell anyone about your mom. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> you didn't tell us about your mom either, right? So what happened to your mom? Like, she, yeah, she's she dead. That's it. Like, 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 <laughs> what was up with that guy? By the way, Gata. I don't know. Yeah, he has a, a lot of Instagram star. followers. I yeah, know. yeah. I don't um, know. He's okay. fine. It's just like, it's okay. I just saw him in another movie. What movie did I see him in? I no, he's remember. in the trailer first. He's, or have you seen, I saw him in a trailer for a different movie before I watched Anyone But You and it wasn't the Mark Wahlberg dog, dog movie, which are you sure we shouldn't do in a whole episode about that? The Family Plan? Yeah, should we just have that? Oh no, the one coming out next year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe. Dog Hall of Fame, movie Dog Hall of Fame? No, I was thinking we should just do a watch along. Oh, I just watched Self-Reliance. That's what he's in. Oh, that's Johnson right. Movie. And that was the yeah, trailer that yeah, I saw. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. No, Glenn Powell's character doesn't have any more development. He's just bringing enough charisma to it that uh, I didn't hate him. Okay. But you, you, do you want your leads to be smart people who you're, you're like excited about? Yeah. Okay. You want, I want to root for them. Yeah. I can root for Glenn Powell even if he's being a dipshit though. Like he's kind of being yeah, a dipshit in sure, most of the movie, even though you can fine. tell he really loves Sydney Sweeney's character. Right. Re- very curious movie. Again, I, I I like it. It's not good, but I like it. What was I completely agree with that? What was the game that they were playing at the like the first night? The I guess the rehearsal dinner when the whole family. Because this movie does another thing. Oh, I like yeah. you know it's mostly just set over a wedding weekend at a fabulous house. Great job, everyone. Um. 
You just, this this movie breaks my rule, though. All movies that open with a wedding are fantastic, and all movies that close with a wedding are terrible. Um, well, this closes with a wedding. That's that's what I'm saying. That's my. Yeah. That's my. It, it breaks your rule. It goes against my rule. I mean, it's you know, it follows my rule. But I was going to say, I was rule. like, is it breaking? Yeah. What's the rule? My okay. rule is don't close your movie with a wedding. Okay, <laughs> please be the Godfather. Okay. Don't, don't be anyone but you. What about the graduate? Uh, well, that wedding doesn't happen. Oh, okay. So don't close your your with the with the legal marriage. Yes, do ceremony. not officially tie the knot. Okay. Or if, I mean, it ends with the dissolution of a marriage, so that you know right. Benjamin can go. Yeah. Maybe sort of be happy I mean, with Catherine Ross, but not actually because life is a pit. If you say the vows in a church but don't file the paperwork, do you have to go get divorced? Then is this something that you're curious about for your personal <laughs> circumstances? No, we filed the paperwork. Okay, sure. The very did lovely. You miss, did you forge your signature with a, the, an incorrect name so that you can dissolve your marriage and retain all your finances long term? You no. can admit it here on the pod. No, because <laughs> <laughs> no one is listening. I promise. <laughs> that was actually we got our. There was a very like lovely but like nervous substitute clerk the day we went to get our license oh and hired by you and a I professional know. actor oh we have a different clerk surprising oh, no. is it gonna be filed correctly <laughs> as portrayed by dermot mulroney we did have to, we did have to file like do several rounds of the form because it kept accident kept screwing it up no accidentally they, burning it no they kept accidentally <laughs> changing my name and i kept uh, being like oh. no it will not it will oh, be, yeah. A modern the woman. regular name, yeah. Do you think Sidney Sweeney's character took Glenn Powell's character's name in Anyone But You when they got married? You probably, because she seems pretty malleable, mm, you know? Interesting. She's like, I don't know. If you want to take someone else's name, go with God. Nothing wrong I? with that. Yeah. Nothing what were that. their last names? Uh, Johnson and Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, Can we do the last two minutes of this movie? Uh-huh. Which are the Natasha Bedingfield montage are yes. just like a euphoric note to end on. If we could have marshaled that energy, like for the rest of the movie, everyone is awake and singing, you know? Yeah. I just like, if you just swap Emma Stone for Sydney Sweeney, the movie is a lot better. That's no, honestly how I, I feel. I honestly, I, I think. We already saw Will Gluck and uh, Emma Stone do Easy A. Like, th- this is. This is a movie that needed someone That's with a true, different but, tone who would be better at comedy. I, I mean, honestly I agree think with be a that. But I mean, supporting cast too, because in addition to Emma Stone, you've got Stanley Tucci and Patricia Clarkson. That family stuff is all really funny. Yep, it's a, uh, it's a far superior movie. Yeah, but and I do also just think like the situations and the specific setups mm-hmm. and jokes, mm-hmm. and it's it's easier when it's like a high school and everyone has you know shared experience of of high school so you can get a little more specific you don't have to like explain everything mm-hmm. um so there's more room for jokes but i don't know i just i i think this could have been funnier that's my that's my note this movie's going to be on netflix probably in a few months cuz it's a sony film and they have an output deal with netflix yeah and almost all of these sony movies like skyrocket to the top mm-hmm. of the Netflix chart. We just saw with Spider-Verse, Equalizer 3. This keeps happening over and over again. It's a fascinating thing in the culture because like all of the Sony movies are being widely seen. Are they being widely seen exactly as Sony wants them? Not really, but they're kind of getting what you want. And so I think actually for Sydney Sweeney and Gwen- Glenn Powell, huge W because it's going to make like somewhere between 50 and $75 million at the box office. Right. Very solid. And then it's going to be a big streaming hit. So I think that their stars will continue to rise no matter what we think about the movie. 
This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring is such a refreshing time of year. Flowers are blooming and you're getting your house in order. But now is also a good time to take a second look at your wireless plan because you might be overpaying. Right now, Mint Mobile has unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash bigpick. That's mintmobile.com slash bigpick. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. You know what makes a good movie even better? Delicious food. And I know exactly where to find that. Now, for a limited time, you can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tender Wraps. A crispy chicken tender with bold flavors like Hickory Barbecue and Cheesy Baja, crisp lettuce, and melty cheese. It's just what you need for a perfect movie night. Get yourself some TLC, tender love and chicken, for only $1.99 at Sonic. Buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tender Wrap today. Tax not included. Limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Okay, Sean, top three movie snacks of all time, go. Um, all right, let me think. Uh, popcorn? Obviously. Hmm. Ice cream? That's two. Oh, and, uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, of course. Peanut butter and chocolate is a pretty perfect combination. Some may even say the ultimate movie snack. You can't argue with that. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Let's talk about the color purple. I saw this a while ago. I haven't revisited it. I saw it almost a month ago at this point. Um, This is, as I said, the uh, musical adaptation. The musical was uh, staged on Broadway in 2005. Long-running musical. Um, Two of the big stars of the film are reprising their roles here. Fantasia Barino of American Idol fame and Daniel Brooks. Um, She was in the revival. Daniel Brooks is in the revival, yeah. Um, Brenda Russell, Allie Willis, Stephen Bray, and Marsha Norman uh, wrote the book and lyrics for the show. Uh, it's based on the Walker novel that I mentioned. The Steven Spielberg movie is an interesting artifact. I don't think we've really gave it too much time when we did a lot of our Spielberg coverage around Fablemans. I rewatched it last night. Really interesting movie. Probably important to remember it's actually only his eighth film. You know, very hailed at the time by the establishment. This was Ebert's favorite movie of 1985. It had 11 Oscar nominations, but famously had zero wins at that Oscars. He came under huge criticism from a lot of black critics. James Baldwin famously hated this movie. Um, a lot of black authors and, and uh, black playwrights and black critical minds were not fans because they felt like the portrayal of the male characters was too severe, but then everything else was sanded down. The romance uh, between Suge and uh, Celie was sanded down. There was not enough clarity about like the emotional complexity of some of the characters. It's a beautifully made movie. Um, it like The way that it's filmed is incredible. It's really like Spielberg trying to fit his aesthetic into a story that he ultimately doesn't really seem to understand because there's a lot of innocence in his storytelling and this movie the story is kind of the opposite right. of that. It's a really brutal story. But um you know it's been a long time since that movie and frankly I don't think a lot of people have seen especially a lot of people under 40 have really seen The Color Purple the Spielberg movie. It might be among his least seen 80s films at this point. So this comes along at an interesting time, this film was produced by Spielberg and Oprah Winfrey, um, who who was a, st- one of the and stars. It was one of, the of her first screen, and also was yes. a, was kind of a breakthrough for Whoopi Goldberg, which yes. is another significant part of the the nineteen eighty five film. Yes, Whoopi Goldberg played Celie, and uh, 
Oprah Winfrey played Sophia. They're both t- terrific in the movie, and Danny Glover is exceptionally good in the movie as Mister. Um, but it, it is—it's a complicated film. This new one uh, comes to us from uh, Blitz Blazawule, who I had known for many years as Blitz the Ambassador, a professional rapper who I did not realize had taken on uh, a life of filmmaking. But he, here he is with his. This is really his first big major studio movie. Um, he worked on Black is King, the uh, Beyonce mm-hmm. film, the kind of companion to The Lion King a few I years remember. back. Um, you know, if you're not familiar with The Color Purple, it's set in the early 1900s in Georgia. Uh, it follows Seeley, who's married off to Mr., uh, an older man who effectively marries her so that she can do all the work in his household and take care of his three children. Um, it starts this kind of like decades-long cycle of abuse and terror that Mr. inflicts upon her and that we see in this kind of time um, for black women in Georgia. Um, they cross paths with a brassy R&B singer who has a past with Mr. You know, the the book itself, you would not think necessarily would lend itself well to a musical. But then when you think about it, it's like 1900s Georgia. There's like this blend of blues and gospel and R&B. So in many ways, like it is kind of a, it's a, it's a, it's a good fit. Like a rich sonically. cultural text. Yes. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, this is one of the most brutal stories in the American fiction canon, which is just a, you just never see musicals about subject matter this harsh and violent and terrifying. Um, I was trying to, I mean, could you, I guess like Les Mis can be kind of brutal, but there are very few right. but, that, that but, have this level of intensity. Yeah. So the other thing about, so the Alice Walker novel is an epistolary novel. It's written, a majority of it is our letters written from Seely either to God or to her sister, Nettie. Nettie and yeah. then there are letters like from Nettie quoted back to Seely, kind of exploring Nettie's life, which also gets necessarily pretty truncated in the... And all the adaptations. In all, in all, the, all the adaptations. Yeah, yeah. But so, I mean, that is that is probably like the hardest type of novel to adapt because you're not just it, it is it's Celia is the narrator everything that you are learning about in the novel is from her perspective you're also watching her narration emotions perspective change over time in the way that she is speaking and she is necessarily centered just by like the actual form of the a book, even as you introduce new characters, and in the case of Nettie, like a whole other continent, and you know, like a whole other uh, adventure. Or adventure is not really quite the word. Um, a journey, a whole other journey. There we go. Um, so once you're taking away that first person and that subjectivity, to even like do justice to the amount of st- stuff that is covered in the novel means you lose Seeley at the center of the adaptation. And I think that's true for every single adaptation. Both films, for yeah. sure. Yeah, um, you, you do, and, you, you and do I, 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 To be fair, I have not seen, like, the stage production of the musical. This was my first um, introduction to it. But, so, that, I mean, that's just, that's hard, even before you get to the absolutely brutal nature of, like, much of what happens in the book. Yeah. It's a very curious uh, product. I think it, I thought it was generally not successful, um, but there are three to four moments in the film, and this is true of most um, 
strongly written musicals where you just can't deny that there's a powerful musical moment yeah. and it's it's well staged or um, the performances What's are great. Yeah. This movie in particular has a few really, really good performances. You know, Tarashi B. Henson is in the movie. Coleman Domingo is terrific in the movie as Mr. And then, as I said, Daniel Brooks and, and Fantasia, I think to a lesser extent, we can talk about her a bit. Daniel Brooks, I think, is the standout of the of film. Course. As yeah. Sophia, as Harpo's wife, ex-wife. Um, and she gets two really big musical moments, one in particular that is the best sequence in the movie. Um, she also gets one incredible comic moment mm-hmm. after what is a brutal like emotional, dramatic uh, bit of storytelling. Yeah, that, like, in the middle of this exuberant musical, just feels really tough. Her performance manages to like encapsulate the pretty intense um, emotional turns that this this movie takes. Just because it has to get through so much incredibly grim and upsetting plot. Yes. Um, and then suddenly you you go from a scene of horrifying abuse to like, and here's a musical number. And there's there's just sort of the 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 amount that is condensed because it's over 40 years. Mm-hmm. That's another aspect of the movie that is a little troubling. This was true for the Spielberg movie too. Yeah. Like, what year is this? How old is everyone now? Right. Which is, I, I mean, again, that's that that is just the the struggle of adapting mm-hmm. to such a per, a particular. You can do that when it's letters over time, and that's like the form, but. Once you're suddenly just turning it into an epic of like 18 characters over 40 years, um, and a, and just an, a truly horrifying number of things happening, and then you're like, but now it's time for like a, a song as well. It's really it's kind of jarring, but Danielle Brooks manages to actually just like take the emotional tone of the movie and can kind of smooth out that transition and makes it make sense. Um, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. I Let's talk about Fantasia for a minute. Um, it's, a, it's remarkable to me that Fantasia is not yet 40 years old. Um, she's 39. I, as you know, a long time, as hardcore fan yeah. of American Idol for the first 10 seasons. Um, chronicled the show for years at Vibe. Um, when she showed up on the third season of Idol... I was like, we we did it. Like this this show has has justified its existence. Like she was breathtaking that entire season. I'm sure if you went back and looked at it now on YouTube, you'd be like, okay, this is kind of cheesy, like karaoke, and it's not good. But in the context of the show at the time, she was amazing. Like Kelly Clarkson is a great singer, and yeah. a great pop star, but Fantasia was a discovery to me. This was not a person who was just like, I'm being groomed to be a pop star. Uh and but she has she has had pop hits and she did have a somewhat successful like 2000s career as a pop singer. But ultimately, when you think back on Idol, Idol wasn't, ma- Idol was making great stage performers. They weren't making great pop stars. And so she's very well suited to this kind of work. I would have much preferred to have seen her in the Broadway production because in this, I don't think she has quite the gravitas as an actor that Daniel Brooks or Coleman Domingo have. To act, to a like different type powerhouse of, yeah. actors, people who can like wrap you up in what they do, and also Celie is a is a very internal, quiet, um, kind of dutiful person who's biding their time, waiting for their moment to kind of pursue a kind of independence. So it's a it's a tough part, you know. You really have to do a lot with a little, except for the handful of musical performances in this adaptation. Um, I. You know, I I wouldn't say I was like disappointed in her performance. I just didn't think it was. I think it's just a, it's an incredibly tough assignment yeah. to because again, once the character goes from the 
the lens through which we see like all of the world and who's able to impart their experiences to just like being the connector between all of these like more dynamic women, which which is the point because that this is about a community of black women who like help Seely, you know, if not like find happiness, you know, like find some sort of peace. Mm-hmm. Um, and but she just has to. That means that they like get more time, you know, or and they not get more time. They just get like get more stuff to do. They get to be bigger because that is like part of the way that those characters show her like what is outside of of her world. So it's it just it's just structurally doesn't work as well in this format. I agree with you. I mean it's not just Daniel Brooks. It's it's definitely Taraji who plays yeah. Shug Avery, the this kind of grand star who rolls into town. Um and even even her, uh, Gabriella Wilson, who gets like kind of a standout moment as Harpo's new girlfriend, right. and who herself is a great you know pop star, kind of like outshines Fantasia a little. Bit. Like all three of them are just get a lot to do, and so I think you're right. I think you lose the focus of the story a little bit around Celie and and really Nettie too, because Nettie becomes this like um, almost like spectral figure in her life as right. she and her family are in Africa. But, like, we don't see them. We don't know them. Until, until Ciara shows up as old Nettie at the end. I I knew that was coming, and I still... I She looked very beautiful. She did. Um, <laughs> I, through, like, roughly the first two, like, hour 45 of this, when I was watching it, I was like, ah, this is really not working. But then I did get sucked in at the end, and I did get, like, emotionally connected to it. And I yeah. saw like, a big crowd of of Academy voters, and they were loving it. Like, people oh, stood up in the middle, like, after performances to applaud. So, it really, really played okay, the that's screening I went to. Which is why I asked you, because you saw you saw a screener of it. And I, I think that it, it, when you feel other people connecting to it, it plays differently. Yeah. I think, also, just people do have a connection to this story and to this musical. It's been wildly successful, I think, in both runs. It, and, and won a lot of Tony's... For the revival mm-hmm. in 2016 or 17. So th- there is that thing where you like go to a musical and you like know that the song or like the big emotional moment is coming. Um, and you see it delivered by like, I mean, this is just a absolutely stacked cast. People get really excited about that. I didn't have that connection to the musical mm-hmm. myself. Um so there's I wasn't whole, anticipating the things, but I can see how it would play. Right. I mean, there's a whole list of other great actors who we didn't even mention, like Louis Gossett Jr.'s in this movie. Yeah. Uh, John Batiste is in this movie. Anjanou Ellis Taylor's in this movie. Um, there's a whole, like, uh, a murderer's bro of cameo performances or small roles. It's, you know, it's it's like Wonka. They're both Warner Brothers movies that were not marketed as musicals that are plain old musicals. I think I would just rather not see the musical version, just like I would rather not see the musical version of Wonka. <laughs> like I just, you know, I didn't really think they were like appropriate, uh, like a, an appropriate context for the story that it's telling. I don't know if Blitz was necessarily the right filmmaker. He's still like an unseasoned filmmaker, and there are moments where the musical stuff just doesn't really fly. Like it just doesn't really. Soar yeah, the way you want I it to. I do like musicals, but they are very difficult to film, and there is a way that you shoot and edit a musical sequence that is very different than you shoot and edit an action sequence or like any other type of film. And I, I didn't really feel that this did justice to the, the music, the, the, the dancers in particular. Um, 
But also just like the staging, it it would just cut so quickly that you couldn't see anyone and it was very focused on close-ups and I was like, no, I want to see I want to see them do a number, you know? Yeah. 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 This I I seven brides for seven brothers this is not. Yeah. It's a, it's a different kind of a thing. Um what how do you think it's going to do with the Oscars? I really have no idea. Um so it's not nominated uh for best picture musical or comedy at the Golden Globes, which on the one hand, the Golden Globes are a, you know, a recurring and mutating joke. Um, on the other hand, especially for a musical, there's a whole category just for those and comedies. And this is that's usually a place where musicals like this get a boost. And I think it's notable just in terms of the Golden Globes being the first awards show. It's coming very soon, sort of the official kickoff of award season that they won't be front and center in that way. Maybe doesn't help. Yeah, I'm, it's hard to say. I mean, this year, musical or comedy is unusually stacked with legitimate Best Picture contenders. It's not often that you have a Barbie, a Holdovers, a Poor Things. You know, May, December, your mileage may vary on whether or not that's a comedy, but it's a very funny movie. And American Fiction. Um, and then Air is really the movie that I think has its spot. Um, I suppose Barbie is kind of a musical, but not really. So that that would mean we that watched are... the Dream Ballet many times over holiday break. By we, I mean me and my son. It's beautiful. Yeah, he can say hi, Barbie. Now, thanks to your uh, to Alice's Barbie plane. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I have a Barbie girl for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think Daniel Brooks would be nominated. I still think yeah. Davine Joy Randolph is the leader. Um, Fantasia. That's a very tough category. Yeah, and I'm not sure if I see it. I think Coleman Domingo has a better chance in supporting actor than he does in lead actor lead. Yes. at this point because Rustin yeah. was not very I do as super well. well received. That was on my. That was one of the chances that I took in my. You put Coleman in supporting. In supporting, yeah, yeah. He's great. He, he's, I mean, he's, he's wonderful great. and yeah. he's beloved by everyone. Yeah. And it's like you want to see him at the Oscars. You do. So he's another person. Who I'm like, dude, I would like to get him to just get like 20 percent more famous. You know? Yeah. Like he he deserves more. Deserves to lead more movies. Um, shouldn't have to rely on streaming services to make his movie successful. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm torn because this feels like a very dour set of Oscar nominees, and there usually is one or two movies that are like, boom. Now, obviously, Barbie is a very mm-hmm. exuberant film, but it's been around for so long that I think people are taking that for granted. It's, of course, going to be nominated. I just mean, like, when the decision comes down, and it's like Anatomy of a Fall and Zone of Interest and, you know, May, December and poor things are people going to be like this is a lot of heavy energy for me what i want to do is i guess color purple has plenty of heavy energy as well i was gonna say it's like there are moments of uplift um but it it's it's tough as much as it is inspiring (laughs) so i really don't know it feels like we still have the 13 for 10 and i just can't really tell how it's going to break yet this year i can't either it's fun. Makes it fun. Yeah. It does feel like a two and a half horse race right now. Now it doesn't really feel like super competitive. Oppenheimer. Uh, Oppenheimer holdovers killers kind of seems like the race right now. Yeah. I don't I don't really think killers is in the race, even though it's the critical consensus, us included. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. I'm not so sure. That's great. You want to do resolutions? Sure. We didn't do this last year. No. This is the first time. The inaugural 
2024 movie resolutions. I asked you for this uh, over real New Year's Eve. For my real... No, you asked for my real New Year's resolution. That's what I mean. Yeah. What, I'm good. What, what, what was it? You my new, my actual? Yeah. No. I I don't really do like You're a, perfect as is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more just like, if I need to make a change, I'm going to make it. I see. On the day that it comes. I'll tell you what. Yeah. You and I are the same. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, don't need a, I don't need to set rules for how to live my life. I think I do need to set rules, though, for how to watch movies and how to experience the movie year yeah. as one of the hosts of this show. Great. So I thought this would be a fun exercise for us. Who do you want to go first? Uh, you go first. Okay. This one's important. Mm-hmm. No more meltdowns over franchise garbage for me. Now, obviously, the Fast X episode, infamous in its uh, emotional grandeur. I stand by everything I said in that discussion. I would encourage everyone to listen to the, that episode just to get to the end when um, I interviewed Paul Schrader. Uh, I think that that was the breaking point, not just for me, but for Hollywood. And I think that there is a recognition <laughs> <laughs> that we have gone too far with some of this bullshit and that there's going to be a big scale back and there's going to be a redefinition. It's going to take a few years to, to set, set, set in, but I'm over it. I'm good. I'm all about good movies. That's what I'm thinking about. Okay. You don't believe me? Okay. I mean, I like I have I have multiple issues. Number one, I don't believe you. Okay. Like number two. Did oh. I say that you were allowed to like rebut no, my resolutions? But, was that part of the rules of this game? But no, but my number two issue with this is like at some point we have to like make content, you know? Uh-huh. So if if you're you not if you're not gonna do and have any more meltdowns, then I have to be able to rebut your resolutions. Number three, <laughs> you being like, Hollywood and I agreed <laughs> after Fast X. It's yeah. just like an extraordinarily, extraordinary act of Sean-ness. Um, <laughs> I got and- a call from all of the leaders at Hollywood on Christmas morning, and they said, Merry Christmas, Sean. You're the new ambassador. Everything that you say is how we will perform going forward. And I was honored to receive that gift yeah. on, on the day of Christ's birth, yeah. which I flubbed on two pods in four days at the end of the year last year. Listen, it was it was a, it was a long year, we were doing and a lot of we were potting. listen. We were just we were doing our best. That's a bit adult, yeah. Um, I sure. I think if this is what you want to do, this is your attitude. That's great. It's I okay. um to quote you. Note with interest that you are. Uh, making this resolution after all superhero movies <laughs> That's what have I'm run their course like times five and you got fast, fast X and like eight other meltdowns. The first franchise oriented episode that I have planned in 2024 is not until February 16th when we cover Madam Web. This is the other thing where you were like, hey, Amanda, make resolutions for a podcast <laughs> that you have absolutely no say over. It was like, I logged Wait, onto you, the did, spreadsheet did, to be like, oh, great. Now I have to make resolutions. Like the only resolution that I actually have the power to make is mm-hmm. like to be nicer to you. And I'm not going to do that. Why not? So, <laughs> what, what, why, what would that cost Because you? I also believe in setting myself up to succeed. Uh-huh. And I know that that's not possible. So... <laughs> Okay, good enough. Okay. Uh, do you actually, you, you, if you want right yeah, now, this, yeah. you can do this right now. Mm-hmm. Open up the big picture planning spreadsheet. Yeah. I, I don't like spreadsheets, so that would be my first note. It's like, could we? What? Press command A. Command A. And you can just press delete. No. And you can start over and you can plan every episode. Now is your chance. Command A, delete. 
<laughs> I do it's have that a, simple. I do have a couple notes. I think that you did a pretty good job with January, except I do want to do the thing where everybody comes on and tells us what we got wrong. Yeah, I don't know where to do that, but I want to do that too. Um, That's because I just, you know, I got so much personal feedback from the people in my life, which is the only feedback that I actually care about. The problem for me is that I don't do that to you, but you do it to me. So I already get what I get wrong. Like in every episode. Every episode you're like, no, you're dumb. Like I don't, but I don't say that to people. We actually do agree on some things. We do. A lot of things. And people can also come tell me that I'm wrong. They do it every day. Uh, Trust me. They do it every day to me too. It bounces off, you know, but that's fine. We can just, it can be an open floor for the people in our life that we like. Yeah. I think it's going to dovetail with the Bill Simmons movie hot take thing that is going on too so oh like on his yeah i don't know if that'll be on his show or not okay but, um he's he's really been working through some things he's cooking yeah uh it's very special i meant to text him and ask whether he watched saltburn i don't know i'm not sure yeah um maybe he can tell us about it on this podcast but yeah we'll, okay. we'll, we'll, we'll so line I'd up like a few to, people i'd like to add that yeah i'll find i'll find a place list. for that okay i have an idea for that okay um, Aside from that, I tried to focus on, you know... Maybe that's what we can do is we can do, like, open review and feedback on the schedule at the end of each of <laughs> where you can just make it and I'll tell you what I would change. I'm uh, vetoing that concept. <laughs> uh, okay, what's your resolution? Resolution number three Number three. Let's see whether I'm actually allowed to do this. Um, it is spend less time on filler movies, which is... We were talking about this a little bit earlier of just sometimes... It does feel like we're sitting in a movie theater watching the movie that a studio put in wide release on a Friday because that is our jobs. Mm -hmm. And we'll keep doing it Mm -hmm. but because, as you said, that's our job. But if it's not a good one, if it's just filler, if it's like the Friday big release of the week and we're never going to think about it again, what what if we did something else? What if we talked about something else? We can We can talk about it a little. But it's just don't don't you feel like we're a little I I too grew up in magazines and and blogs and I believe in the release calendar and we have to have something to work towards and I like plans and you know we got to schedule childcare and all of that stuff but the people who listen to this show follow the release calendar less and less uh, am I am, am I doing this for them? Or am I doing this for myself? Or am I doing it for Hollywood as the new ambassador <laughs> of Hollywood? I've got to ask myself that question. Um, I I would like to be invited on other podcasts as the official ambassador for Hollywood okay. going forward. I want you to know that. So okay. I'm available to anyone out there who's listening. Um, I'm mixed on this concept because great. On, on, Why are we doing this? Why are no, we? No, no, no. But I, I think it's I'm not I'm not re- rebutting it. I want to work like work through it. Because on the one hand, like, I'm not going to make you go see Kung Fu Panda 4, which is coming out in March. Right. I don't do that now. Did yeah. you go see Migration? No. That, that movie was bigger at the box office than anyone but you. I, we didn't do that as an episode. That's so because I already you didn't, think yeah, about No, no, no. That's because you didn't like it very much, right? No, I thought it was fine. Okay. It's okay. It's like, it's, it's about as good as the two other movies we talked about today, which is to okay. say, like, it's solid, but not great. Okay. And kind of negligible. I think... Like, we're imagining an audience that is somewhere between the ages of, like, 20 and 50 that are interested in films. So, even if a movie is bad, it doesn't mean it's not worth discussing. Or even if a movie is mediocre, like, it indicates something about where the art form is at. I think that's true. But then sometimes it's just, like—and sometimes a bad movie is notable— 
because it does really well at the box office or because it's notably bad or, you know, there's some pop cultural significance and that is relevant to us and we keep talking about it. But just like sometimes we're just sitting there watching. It's not even that it's not even about me going to watch it. Mm -hmm. It's about us being like that is what we should spend our time talking about. Well, okay, here's... I'm I'm just looking down the calendar to think of, like, a couple of movies that would fit the bill here. Like, here's a movie that would fit the bill, I think, for what you're describing. Godzilla, X-Kong of the New Empire. Right. This is the fourth film in the Legendary Monsters series. Right. You know, how good is it going to be? It's not going to be the third man. (laughs) Like, it's just not... It's not going to be the Casablanca of Godzilla and King Kong movies. Right. It might be a fun time. It seems like a really good movie to just get super stoned and go see. Sure. Will it make for a an interesting podcast conversation? Probably what's, not. What's tough is that like we've already had the good, interesting podcast conversation about that film, and it's Chris Ryan making fun of the trailer. You know? Right. right. So But so then don't cover it? Like, so what do we I do? Don't, I don't know. Well, cover I mean, you're it making less. a resolution. Oh my God. Well, explore th- it with me. Yeah. I don't think we should organize an entire episode around okay. it. We can talk about it. Top five monster monsters punching each other movies? Sure. Okay. You want to do like eight minutes on it and move on? Yeah. Okay. Will you come up with the alternative idea to put yes, in that episode? I do that okay. often. Okay, great. Never forget storied episodes like wife movies. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. great men. Yes. As, as, uh, during my ambassadorship, we have chronicled the greatness of that episode many times in the, in the halls of Hollywood. Uh, okay. So this year, one thing that I do want to do that we were doing a lot during the pandemic and then we got away from, which I regret, is at least five episodes dedicated to non-contemporary great filmmakers and great actors in 2024. So two things that I, I noted is that both Sidney Lumet and Marlon Brando, actually a third person as well, Lauren Bacall, all would have turned 100 this year. The last time... Uh, 2024. In 2024. Okay. Yes. Um, that's what year it is. That's the year. It's January 2nd, 2024. Nice to see you. Um, Chris and I did Toshiro Mifune when he was turning 100 back in 2020 during the pandemic. Really fun episode. Mm-hmm. People seem to really respond to that episode. I'd like to do a little bit more okay. like that. So... Can we get on a Marlon Brando viewing journey? Sidney Lumet is somebody who I've always wanted to do an episode about, not just because he's directed some of the greatest movies of all time, right. you know, Serpico, 12 Angry Men, Dog Day Afternoon, on down the line, right. but because he's directed so many movies, and I still haven't seen like 10 or 12 of the movies he's directed. He directed so many movies in the 60s that are either harder to find or more obscure or not considered not as successful. So that would be a fun project for me to try to build towards something where we can do like one half like his Hall of Fame yeah, and one half like here are the five you need to see. Sidney Lumet and Lauren Bacall episodes in particular would dovetail nicely with my number two, which is I'd like to cover like more movie books. Mm. Not just because I'm a a person who enjoys reading books. And Sidney Lumet wrote a very famous um, on filmmaking, just a book about... Making movies, Making movies. Oh, making movies. That's Yeah. And Lauren Bacall has, like, one of the great memoirs of all time. That stuff is just wild. Yes. I'm, By myself is it's how it's called. really, really incredible. The Jason Robard sections are haunting. Um, he seems like a tough hang. Robards. Tough hang, but also... Very troubled man. Yeah, but but incredibly talented, yep. you know. It's, yep. Anyway, and she she communicates all of that in the memoir. 
we were talking about movie books over the break. We were. And I, we like reading them. I, I like reading club? them. Yeah, I think that would be fun. Okay. Let's do it. Let's, I'm, I'm just going to call it right now. We're okay. going to, we're going to, we're going to do the Francis Ford Coppola book. Oh, good. Our, yeah, our that's what, that's Sam Lawson. Yeah. So this will be, we'll do this a month from now, maybe sometime in February. Great. We'll do our first ever big picture book club entry. This will be only movie books, but I would say, let's say not just fic, not just nonfiction. We can do fiction too, because there are plenty of great. Oh, that would be fun. Novels, yeah, yeah, yeah. about the world of movies. Um, the first book is "The Path to Paradise: Colon, A Francis Ford Coppola Story" by Sam Lawson, who wrote "The Big Goodbye," the great book about Chinatown, who's written a number of movie history books. I've heard this is an excellent book. It also would be a great way to prepare for Megalopolis, Megalopolis, which is a movie we'll talk about probably later this week, which hopefully will be a 2024 release. Francis Ford Coppola's long gestating dream project, which has finally been realized and has, I think, completed production, right? I believe so. Okay. So that's good. That that gets us, that incentivizes us to actually not just read these books, but find an opportunity to talk about them. Yeah. I like that one. Um my last one is related to the discussion we're having, which is more movies. I want to watch more movies this year. Okay. I tried to scale back the last two years and going the other way. You my, were kid, my kid is doing great. You know, like we're we're at a, like some dark periods here. We're like getting towards three. Three is gonna be that's where it's all gonna happen. That's where it's gonna be magic. <laughs> I was I was holding like an extended discussion with my daughter this morning about how we make smoothies. Like, we were just talking for 10 minutes, which okay. to me is like, well, I've been waiting my tips? whole life for something like this. Well, like, it is so exciting. Um, more strawberries. Okay. More cookies. Okay. We want to put as many cookies into our shakes as possible, but no pineapple. Absolutely okay. no pineapple, which I personally disagree with, frankly. Yeah. I love pineapple in my smoothie. But here's here's rules. Here's my take. Alice... Has been doing great since the day she was born, and you're <laughs> finally emerging from your darkness and could appreciate Absolutely. the wonder you're, you know that what? is Alice, you're my number one right. fantasy. She she is elite, but she's in a particularly elite phase of her life. So yeah. with that, I'm ready to lock and load. You know, okay. can we get to 800 in in 2024? Let's. So that would be at least two, and most days three movies a day. Um, yeah, which is pretty achievable. For okay, me. so break it down for me time wise. It just means I have to stop going to bed at 9 p.m. Okay. If I start at 8 and yeah. I watch 2 a night. Also, like, I'm series television kind of died for me. Yeah, it is pretty much like, over. It's, it's, it has been pretty bad. There's a couple, you know, I'll watch True Detective. Like, I'm going to watch the big stuff. But there's there hasn't been a show that I've enjoyed in a while, aside from The Curse. So I can just kind of set that aside. And I'll tell you what spurred this last resolution is. After we got home from Palm Springs yesterday, um, my wife and I watched The Passionate Friends, the David Lean film which is just an unbelievable movie that I'd never seen before, uh, starring Trevor Howard. Was this inspired by our TCM movie trivia? A, a bit. A yeah. Bit. We were looking, we've been, well, we watched, when we were, one night when we were in Palm Springs, we watched The Lady Vanishes to go to sleep to. And that also just an amazing Alfred Hitchcock movie. So we're in a little bit of a, a black and white phase, Eileen and I, as we go to sleep at night. And I was like, I'm, to your point about schedule fillers, I was like, I'm wasting a lot of my time watching stuff that doesn't matter to me when I could be watching The Passionate Friends. So. Um, I'd like to find a way to make it more, make my time more meaningful to me, but my time is still watching movies, just doing it with a little bit different kind of intentionality. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you think, pe I think, do you think people I th come along for the journey with us on the show if we do that? 
Because people watching... hear old movie or where do I watch this? And they're uh, like, eh. Nah, the, the kids are great on okay. this one. Okay. I believe in all my Gen Z babies. Okay. They're really excited about... They like they want a list of every movie. They go see things out. They see things for yeah. the first time. They're, I got so much to share. Bobby's the king of the rep theater, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so or princeling. Yeah. We I so I believe in all of you. And I think they'll do it. Okay. What's your last resolution? To meet more big pick psychos. How are we gonna do that? Get out in the world, go outside, you mm-hmm. know, even if it's yeah. all even if it's watching the movies together. We met one at the Living Desert in Palm we Desert. We did. That was very nice. Yeah. Um, I wish I could Eric. Eric, Eric yeah. was his name. Yeah, he's very you, nice. Um, we were like, yeah, we met. A, we met a sloth who loves the big picture. <laughs> the train conductor is a big. Yeah, no. Um, hopefully, more events or just more screenings. I think we'll more, definitely do some live stuff. Yeah, I don't know where. I don't know when, but we're gonna figure it out. We're yeah, and also it is stuff. nice when people say hi. That's the other thing. Yeah, we had great experiences with it in 2023. I don't know if like a. Proper tour is in the offing. Maybe it is. We'll see. Oh, tour, sorry. Tour, T-O-U-R. Why do you say it like that? Do you say tour? <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I just say tour. What did I say? Tour? Tour? Uh-huh. Like, Are like, you giving me a lesson in elocution? <laughs> I just didn't understand what you were saying for tour? a second. I was like, oh no. Like, What's wrong with tour? That's just not. I didn't immediately connect that with the meaning of the word. You know, but now uh-huh. I'm with you. So because you have brain damage, I'm doing something <laughs> wrong. <laughs> that is basically the summary of this podcast. <laughs> uh, any final notes? I'm excited. You are? Yeah. You didn't seem excited to walk in the door to That's... come back to work this morning. Well, I was I'm... like, I'm so happy to be back at work. And you were like, I'm happy that I have childcare. Well, I am. I, I, I am really grateful. For childcare, I'm grateful for my child, and I'm grateful uh, for all of the people who help take care of him. Uh, no, I'm excited. I'm trying to ease in to mm-hmm. the new year. You know, like uh, along with the resolutions, people just kind of like crack the crack the whip starting January second, and maybe that's not the energy I'm trying to bring. Understood. Maybe I'm just trying to enjoy every day. But I will. I'll enjoy every day. Did you enjoy this podcast? Yes, I. Can't believe I didn't sing Unwritten for one second. Thanks so much for doing that. Yeah, Let's wrap it up welcome. before you do. Uh, thank you to our producer, Bobby Wagner, for his work on this episode. Later this week, we'll be sharing our 24 most anticipated movies of 2024. I think we're going to talk about Night Swim, too. And I was wondering if we should do for Night Swim what we did for Barbarian with you. Or Sierra and I just tell you about Night Swim. Unless you want to see Night Swim, of course. Well, I was going to—I would go see—I mean, it's a haunted pool, right? It's a haunted pool. I mean, so that does seem in my general realm of interest. The screening... Pools are, yeah. Are haunted pools? Well, I don't know. Haunted bodies of water. Sure, why not? Okay, all right. But I don't know whether the timing's going to work out. Okay. So maybe you guys can just recap it for me. All right, we'll see. Maybe we'll hold it for a later week until the time when you can see it. Well, TBD on Night Swim, but we will talk about our most anticipated movies, and we'll see you then. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.